Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 8718 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and Minnie. Minnie. <laughs> welcome <I'm> back, back Minnie. <laughs> Minnie's back. Minnie, it's, it's so good to have you back here in the studio again. You have no idea. We appreciate everything that you have to share and we're looking forward to today's show. What are you thankful for today? Oh, you know what? I'm thankful for the sunshine. I, I've loved the rain. My veggie yes. garden is looking happy. It's gone yes. green when it rains, you know. Yes. But driving here this morning, I was like, oh, sunshine, you've come back to me. <laughs> Although here in the Hunter, Newcastle region, it was a little brisk last night. Did you notice It was that? cold. Yeah. Even when I got up this morning, I was like, nah, it's a jersey day for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I was, looking for, I was looking for a jumper and switching the heater on when I came into the studio. Oh, yeah. How, uh, what are you thankful for today? I am thankful for... And this is something that you will rarely ever hear me being thankful Ooh. for. Uh-huh. A couple of days of cold weather. Interesting. Yes. yes. And why so? Because I've been working in my roof. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And it's a metal roof. <laughs> oh. And yeah. heat rises. Yes, it does. And heat comes into metal roofs and stays in there. <laughs> and I was doing a bit of work up in there. And after about five minutes, I was just a dripping mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we had a couple of days of cool weather. I'm like, right, the roof is getting fixed. (laughs) And so uh, a couple of days up in the roof, things looking good. Is it all fixed or you have more to do a bit? Oh, I've got like another three months' work to do. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll wait till till, uh, till autumn for that maybe. We'll Uh, see how we go. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Um, Or maybe we'll just do the insulation up there first and a bit of ventilation and That'll get it sorted. Yeah. I was going to say, insulation also gets itchy, though. Is that that? Is that oh, the yes. stuff? Yeah. Lots of itchy. When it's hot and itchy, itchy you're like, oh. <laughs> oh, and, I, and, and, and that was it. Sweaty and mm. itchy. Oof. It's nasty, nasty mixture. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's talk about some positive news this morning, Minnie. Yes. Oh, well, actually, I thought this was great news. So certain farmers, um, for the first time in probably three or four years, are seeing their first crop. And first harvest after, like, it's just been drought. It's, actually, you know that poem? I, don't, I have no idea who it's by. It's very popular. But there is a line and it says, Australia is a land of drought and flooding rain. And I know that kind of gets overused a little bit, but I'm like, that's, that's what it is. It is. That's Australia. It's, there's <laughs> yeah. a, there's, a reason, there's a reason why that uh, poem was made. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, so over the first uh, harvest in four years, but header drivers are working into the night to get as much of the wheat crops in as possible. Um, so obviously rain fell early in this year. There was heaps of bushfires last year, and then it's just been drought before that. Um, normally, when they bring the harvest in, they was, uh, one of the farmers was saying they leave about ten to fifteen percent. But this year they're like, "No, nah, take it all, take it all in," because you know you just don't know what's going to happen um, in the years to come. So one farmer, Tom Greentree, has a hundred fifty thousand hectare property, and he says they've never put in a harvest so early. Um, but the tables have turned turned from checking the weather every day to go, is it going to rain? To now checking it to be like, please don't rain. Let's just get the harvest. <laughs> we in. need to be able to get the tractor out onto the paddock. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, without it sinking. Yes, which is ideal, really. Um, and so they, yeah, but they said it's, you know, it is raining a lot, but it's also been a massive, massive blessing after a shocking three years. So I was like, that's awesome. Like my family has some friends who are farmers. I have not been a farmer, but I know that that puts a lot of strain on really everything, on your finances, on your family, on all the things you're trying to do. So yeah, praise God for the rain. Um, another story. So three Nigerian Irish teenagers, one 15-year-old and two 17-year-olds, have developed 
Memory Haven, which is an app. It's taken first prize in the Technovation Girls Competition at a World Summit, which basically there was about 1,500 applicants from 62 countries just bringing different innovations for new things. And so this app was designed specifically to try help patients and caregivers to navigate dementia. Um, so the girls had a mentor, Evelyn Nomeo, um, and she, her own mother struggled with dementia and she just, you know, she saw the pain in her mum's eyes as her mum used to be a sem- seamstress, but that moment she started to not know how to sew anymore. Um, it's actually a really, really hard thing, I think, to go through either for someone who's starting going through dementia or for family members seeing it. And so they just went, okay, we don't really know what to do, but we're going to give it a go. So they've made this app um, and it is trying to address speech impairment, loss of memory, and a diminished capacity for recognition, which are all three big factors um, when people are dealing with dementia. And so it features music playlists. It has a built-in facial and voice rec- vocal recognition, um, which tailor tunes uh, – tailor, sorry, the tunes, like the songs – to what the moods appear to be for the person. And it also has just an inbuilt reach out um, button for emergency. Like, so if people are feeling real down, like it can just, anyway, so the point is to get them um, some help if need be. It includes a photo wallet uh, with tagged photos of people from their lives. It has memory games. It has health alerts with like appointments and medication reminders. Um, And most of this app was built by like over chats on WhatsApp through the COVID lockdown this year. So, yeah, these three these three teenagers have developed that. They got first place for, I guess, great idea and bringing it together. So it sounds like the kind of app that would be really, really useful for uh, the early onset of dementia. Yes. When people actually can recognise, yes. I think I'm starting to lose it. Mm-mm. What can I do about this? Yeah, for sure. And they can grab this app, learn how to use this app, and then hopefully they'll be able to continue to use it as the dementia progresses, or yeah. hopefully, you know, the memory games and so forth will uh, slow that progression down a lot. Because mm, mm. it is a really hard thing. I remember, yeah, my first full-time job after I finished high school was in an aged care home. And I remember this, it was, you know, I was like 17. And it was my first time really seeing someone start to have dementia. And it, there was this one old guy and I felt so, oh, my heart just felt for him because I, I used to talk to him and he'd be like, I just don't know. I don't know. I was like, what don't you know? He's like, I just don't know anything. Like, why am I here? Where is my home? And he would just, he was like cognitive, but you could see him start to just, and I was like, oh, this is hard. This is not the way we're meant to live. Yeah. 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 You know, so well done to these girls for like giving it a go and um, yeah, trying something new. Yeah, is absolutely. There many, like, absolutely. Isn't there many yeah. Dementia, different... dementia is just a horrific thing. I watched my, uh, I watched my grandmother go through dementia mm. and slip into it over a fairly extensive period of time, and then just slip right fully into it for about seven years—the last seven years of her life. Yeah, yeah. And it's just not the, you know. And it was one of those things that when we went to her funeral, my 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 dad talking about how that he had mourned for his mother years ago when she oh, lost her mind. Yeah. Wow. Yep. You know, it was it was very sad to lo- for him to lose his mum. It was you know sad for us to lose our grandmother. But I think we went through the mourning process when she forgot who we were. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, because because we felt that we felt like that's when we lost her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, an incredibly difficult thing, an incredibly challenging thing to to for anyone to deal with. Yeah, um, absolutely. In yeah, it just I, I, my heart just goes out to to. Uh, Anyone going through that? Anyone going through dementia. Yeah. Look forward to a, uh, a day and a world where dementia will not exist. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, so, yeah, kind of last little story. Um, in a regional Victorian housing development, um, residents are reporting nearly 100 bird species that are living in the neighbourhood and experts are saying this is evidence that the project has helped biodiversity. Um, so it was specifically kind of designed so that Cape uh, Patterson Eco Development has been previously lauded for its sustainable housing, um, but developer Brendan Condon has also taken steps to bring back native species as much as he can into urban environments by restoring wetlands and native flora to what was a cattle farm a few years ago. So I'm imagining this is going to take quite a lot of work to do, but yeah, they're just finding that there's more and more diversity that they're seeing. Um, the residents are loving it. They're seeing heaps of birds and lizards and mammals. Um, they're taking to the streets of the new home, which I think is always fun to see. Well, unless you're driving and then that stresses me out because you don't want to get them. But anyway, go them. Um, it's just lots of nature is always better. Absolutely. More is always better. That's right. <laughs> I love it when particularly, you know, native species just sort of coming back and making, you know, uh, coming back to where they were where they used to be, yeah. where they're supposed to be is absolutely fantastic. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, scandals within religion are always damaging. They never do a good thing, but uh, we 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 only do damage and add to the weight of scandals by not talking about them. Mm. And so whenever these things happen, we need to talk about them. Of course, uh, we did mention that Pell's back in the news again. Um, the financial crimes regulator has passed information to the police, this is here in Australia, regarding the uh, George Pell trial. Um, and this is uh, has been revealed after Italian media has reported that Cardinal Bella Chewy uh, transferred $1.14 million to Australia to get Pell convicted. Oh. So these are all accusations at this particular point. Right, right. Okay, so the accusation from Italian media is that uh, this particular cardinal did this because uh, Pell was after this cardinal for financial embezzlement. Mm. So that was Pell's job in the Vatican. And so he's going after this guy. And then, of course, that all got interrupted when he was extradited to Australia to face trial. Mm-hmm. Um, what is fact is that the financial crimes regulator has passed in information to uh, both the federal police and the Victorian police in relationship to the matter. We don't know what that information is. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, since then, um, Cardinal uh, Pachui, Pachui, yep, uh, has been sacked and arrested and imprisonment, imprisoned for embezzling half a million dollars. So this is just after Cardinal Pell gets back to the Vatican, like a day or two after Pell gets back there, the guy's thrown in jail. Oh. Which is interesting because he has not yet been convicted, but he's already been sacked from being a cardinal. Whereas how- Pell never even got sacked yeah. even when he was convicted. Yeah, how does that work? I don't know. Is, I don't is, is financial mismanagement higher on the list of crimes than pedophilia? I, I don't know. It's but you know It seems very strange though. That like, they, we, we do yeah. need to talk about these kind of things because mm. um, it only does further damage when you try and cover them up, mm-hmm. as we have seen. Yes. Uh, so the Royal Commission um, into Institutional Sex Abuse here in Australia has just released a, a number of case studies that have been either redacted or withheld because of ongoing legal proceedings. Those proceedings are now finished. Um, And so two of them that were released yesterday was Case Study 43 about the Marist Brothers in the Hunter Newcastle area, which is our local region. And uh, this has been good because it's brought closure to a lot of families and, uh, well, 
how do you ever get closure, but an understanding of what actually took place mm. um, that has been for questions that have been around for 50 years. It goes back 50 years. Yeah, wow. And I guess one of the things that, um, you know, it, it goes into great detail as to who knew, who covered up, what actually took place. And um, the last one from Case Study 43 was William Wade, who was jailed last month for four months for not reporting. And so now that that's been done, there's no more cases with Case Study 43, so it's been, um, it's been revealed. Uh, and basically what it does is it reveals the immensity of the human cost. Mm, totally. it, 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 it shows how many children were killed um, and how many lives were destroyed, amongst other things as a result of what took place. And one individual here, um, Jeffrey Nash, his brother, was killed, you know, suicide, mm-hmm. uh, because of what happened to him. He know- and, and five of his friends, his brother and five of his friends, all killed by this. And, and so many other people uh, destroyed. And it's kind of like, you know, and he points out that anybody who went through these school systems at this particular time was affected by it because so many young boys committed suicide, either then or later in life. And uh, just horrific, horrific stuff. And you're right. I think it's not necessarily doesn't change anything, but it can having answers to those questions can. I don't know. It just feels better in a way. Yeah. It's never good. It's never going to change what's happened. But to have that clarified, to have it validated that yeah, this happened and it was an experience, I think is really important. And it shows what they knew. You know, Bishop Leo Clark says that he found out about you know accusations of child abuse in 1995, whereas now we know that in the 1970s he was taking sending some of his priests down to Melbourne for treatment for being pedophiles, and then you know bringing them back and putting them in the classroom. So you know, the other one that has been released is case study number 42. This is an Anglican one. Um, which shows uh, it's 408 pages of uh, systemic failures. Um, so basically inadequate um, you know, and permissive and timid leadership, inadequate awareness of what was happening, inadequate records, and inadequate reporting to police, um, and over-reliance on the perpetrator's honesty. The issues wow. that have been highlighted there. Anyway, I did talk, say yes, that I would speak about speak about the NASCAR <laughs> lines. Okay, so if you go to NASCAR, and I've been to NASCAR, it is amazing. Uh, put it on your bucket list for when travel st- if, if, if travel ever starts up again, <laughs> if we ever get to travel again, <laughs> when. Uh, put Peru on your list and go to NASCAR and uh, get in one of those little um, Cessnas and do some flying over the NASCAR lines. So, what did you think was amazing about it? Oh, it was just okay. So you got. You've got plants, you've got animals, and you've got lines. Uh, some of the plants and animals are more than one and a half or nearly one and a half kilometres across. These are enormous. That's huge. The lines stretch for 1,300 kilometres in total. Uh, some of them go for 15 kilometres dead straight. So you have biomorphs and geomorphs. Uh, they're about 100 to 150 millimetres deep and about 300 millimetres wide, up to... 1.8 metres wide. Some of them are much wider. And they were discovered in the night or rediscovered in the 1920s by Peruvian pilots because you can only really see them from the air. Mm, mm-hmm. And so the question has always been who made them? Why are they there? If you can't really see them and appreciate them, what is the point of them? Yeah, yeah. And how do you actually make these beautiful pictures in the ground so accurately, so incredibly accurately? Mm. 
when you can't see what you're doing. When you're standing, you walk across the desert, you're never going to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's a spider, there's a tree, there's a hummingbird, there's a condor, there's a whale, there's a human, there's a pelican, there's a dog, there's a monkey, there's a, a person, um, there's a heron, there's hands, there's a flower, there's a lizard with a highway going through the middle of it, uh, there's a <laughs> parrot, and they have now just discovered a cat. Hey. <laughs> Never been seen before. And they believe that this is possibly one of the oldest ones. It's more obscure. Um, it has a long body. It has a striped tail. It has a striped head and it has pointed ears. They discovered this using uh, drone footage and it's older and smaller. So this one is only 37 metres long. So it's kind of um, small compared to... Still less impressive. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, it's of course, the Nazca lines have led to a lot of speculation into uh, aliens. Oh, oh, right. Or ancient technology that involved the ability to fly. No, I reckon they just had good maths. (laughs) Okay, so... The reason it's led to, is, is created that kind of speculation is because you can only mm. appreciate these from, from the above. air. You can get a bit of a view from you know surrounding hillsides and that kind of stuff, but you can only really appreciate it when you fly over it. And when you fly over it, it is just gobsmackingly mm. amazing. Wait, why did they create them? Do they know? They no. don't know. Nobody ah, knows. Totally no one knows. Gotcha. This is like the, it's like full-blown mystery. Oh, wow. And, of course, you know, uh, a lot of people talk about, okay, is there life outside of planet Earth and has it been involved in planet Earth? The Bible is very, very clear that there is life outside of planet Earth and that life has been involved in planet Earth. Of course, the Bible says nothing about the NASCAR lines and why or where or how they were created or otherwise, uh-huh. but the Bible is very, very clear as to uh, what has taken place um, Yeah, around, around you know, in, around our universe. Amazing. Our universe is a universe full of life, not an empty, vast desert. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And joining us in the studio this morning is David Haupt. David, good to have you in the studio. Good morning, and good morning to your listeners again. Usually we catch you, well, we often catch you pulled over on the side of the road somewhere in your busy life. Um, so it is kind of special to uh, to have you here this morning actually live in the studio and we're picking up kind of where we left off from last week we kind of flagged the importance of mentoring of young men last week of course that starts in the home our homes tend to be troubled places these days where do we start with this it's so easy to to look at the pathology that we see like what we spoke about last week about uh, men uh, killing their own family, the people that they've made a commitment to, to, to love uh, until death do us part. And they, at their hand, death so much quicker happens to them. But what would happen if we actually move back and we look at where everything starts? Mm, I think that would be really, really important because um, this is a massive issue that we have in our world right now. It's not exclusive to men, but the stats show that it is almost there. Do you realise that uh, more than 40% of marriages in Australia end up in divorce? Yeah, that's a massive number. And our research shows that out of those children that grow up fatherless, 
ten, they are ten times more at risk of behavioral problems. Right, ten times. Ten times more at risk. Nine times more likely to leave school before graduating or finishing high school, and ten times more likely to become users of abu- uh, abuse alcohol and and other drugs. So in other words, men, young men that grow up without a father is already at a major disadvantage. When we look at girls that uh, come out of uh, a home where parents have divorced, there's a much greater dropout out of school. Uh, Pregnancy outside of marriage is is much higher. And uh, while children of divorce report lower levels of happiness, higher uh, than average levels of divorce in their marriages later on in life. Now, the question that goes through my mind is, why is it that these children of divorce are growing up without a father? Why is it that it seems to automatically default to the mother the work of raising the children? Because, I mean, if there's a divorce, I mean, if there's a death, you don't have any choice. But if there's a divorce, then they could be raised by their father. And we could be talking about stats of what happens to someone who doesn't have a mother in their home. But we're talking about stats of what happens when there's no father in the picture. And this is what we see in society. Why is that? Well, mothers are perceived as the primary caregiver. In other words, they are built to be the one that feeds and cares for the kids. And therefore, it so often defaults that the mother would be the one. And the mother by nature is more focused upon her children. But um, that means that a child growing up with only a single parent, by the way, has a far greater chance of battling with mental health issues depression, anxiety, much higher in that category. Because I believe that God designed marriage to have both, and and a family to have both a father and mother. That gives you the the rounded uh, picture of what a whole person is like. That that softness, but also that that strong uh, part that a father gives. It also uh, rounds up our understanding even of God. So I grew up in a single-parent home without a mother, just a father. Does that make a difference? It would make a difference, yes, but it depends on how the community and how the father itself and how the extended family would be involved in, in that individual's life. Yeah, Today, we sadly, we, we live in a society that has been uh, fragmented. We, we live in a society uh, that is mobile, where families are living hundreds, thousands of kilometers away from each other. So the extended family is not there like in the olden days. And, and again, the church that used to form a, a grounding place for, for kids. In other words, uh, you growing up in a single-parent home at least had a church mm. where uncles and aunties that were not blood-related but faith-related yes. were very much part and parcel of, of your upbringing. Absolutely. And that grounds uh, people. But today um, we are battling with a history of sexual abuse in faith-based organizations and therefore for a well-meaning male to go and hug a boy 
or come alongside that young man and guide him when he sees that they are struggling uh, is today, uh, you know, uh, problematic. Mm -hmm. Because what if it is misunderstood? Mm -hmm. What if someone sees that and therefore makes a claim of child abuse? So we we have a complete uh, or defragmentation of that support base that used to be there. Does it make a difference if a person becomes is raised in a single parent home because a parent died over as opposed to divorce? And if so, what differences? In in both cases, there are some challenges, but when divorce happens, I regularly find that in therapy or as I run programs for the community. Uh, and I touch on these areas, uh, people in their 40s, 50s sometimes just burst out in tears. And I ask them, uh, taking them aside, I ask them, what triggered that emotional outburst? They said, when you spoke about uh, the separation of parents, you spoke about my life. I still carry the scarring, the, the belief by the way, it's a distorted belief that my parents divorced because I held no value. So um, when premature death takes place, there is a chance, but a much slighter chance than when parents divorce. Often children uh, carry that scarring, and although they intellectually know that it is a distortion, they still hold on to this distorted belief that if I had value mum and dad would have stayed together. Therefore, the separation must equal the fact that I held no worth and value. This is very interesting to hear you say that because I remember as a young child, um, my mother passing away and having friends whose parents had divorced. Now, as a child, I got all of the sympathy and support because... I was an orphan or half an orphan. Mm. Um, I had so much sympathy and support that those other children never got. Yeah. And I always looked at their lot as being infinitely harder than my lot. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's, it's rough when your parent dies when you're a kid. Um, it's incredibly challenging, but I always felt that those who were going through divorce you know, the divorce of their parents had a harder lot in life. And, and that was just anecdotally from my own experience. Yeah, yeah. We so often, as we run depression recovery programs, we, we have people in our audience battling with severe depression and anxiety. And uh, they pinpoint that aspect in their earlier life as the causative issues. It's no wonder that God places so much emphasis on the sacredness of marriage and you know, divorce being an absolutely last resort. And sadly, our, our statistics shows us that a child that grows up in a home of divorce, uh, they actually have between 30 to 50% chance of divorcing as well. And, and therefore, we see a phenomenon today that couples would rather stay together for years, have kids, never marry because of the fear that their marriage might end up in divorce. So they stay faithful to each other, but there's never that permanency of marriage between the two of them. 
Does that affect the children in any way? It depends upon how um, how the parents relate to each other. If it is a a union that is very close, um, those kids would uh, grow up fairly normal. But what we see today uh, often is that in that kind of environment, there is four or five kids, and each one has a separate father. That becomes problematic. Mm. And that becomes psychologically problematic for those kids as well. Mm. Mm. So really what you're pointing out here when we talk about mentoring young men and the brokenness that we find in young men, that it begins in the home. It begins with the parents. It begins with uh, the relationship between the parents. And if we can work on marriage relationships and getting those working, then that's going to have a flow-on effect to the children. If I had the opportunity to sit down with every couple before they get married, my message to them would be is to remember that the commitment that they make today will not only influence them, but would would influence the third and the fourth generation that stems from them. That, by the way, is uh, epigenetics. And the Bible knew long before neuroscience heard about epigenetics, the Bible already knew about it, uh, saying in Exodus chapter 20 that God will visit the iniquities of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those that hate him but show mercy to thousands that love him and keep his command. In other words, parents, although they themselves might have come out of a a divorced family unit, can in actual fact break that cycle for their children. We, We call it neuroplasticity, the ability to allow God to speak and his word to speak into their relationship. And the commitment that they make, although it will be challenging, will be life-transforming for the future generation. Now, let's say that uh, in our community or in our church there are some kids that grow up with a single parent. What do we do then? Yeah, and that's a really, you know, and, and okay, I can speak from my own experience because I grew up in a community where, um, you know, single parent, but a church community through just unbelievable levels of support at my family yeah, and had a massive impact on who I am today. I carry brokenness with me from the fact that my mother died when I was young. It was a tragedy. Uh, There's no question about that. And it has affected my life ever since. And it will never not affect my life. But what a massive impact of having a church community and having mentors within my church community, having those, as you say, those non-related uncles and aunts and as soon as you said that i'm like yep tick that box tick that you know you're working your way down through it i'm like this is the blessing of being a part of a church community so many people try and do it on their own and i just say is that you're listening to the program today and um and that you're not a part of a church community even if you don't believe in god if you head along to church once a week you're going to build a social network that is going to want to give you support it's, it's, it can never be a negative thing. It, it's a great way of producing social connectedness, doing away with loneliness. Even if you take God out of the equation, it's fantastic. You won't get the same level of care and support anywhere else. That's right. Very true. And those people in our church communities that do not have kids actually can have kids by way of 
taking mentoring young people in the, in their church family that they actually take on and mentor a new relationship with them. The Barna report says that those kids that actually stay healthy in the church talking about church attending people uh, th- those kids that, that stay healthy within the church are the ones that has at least one adult other than their parent that cares for them and supports them. Okay, so when we talk then in in the church content context about our Sunday school teachers, Sabbath school teachers, uh, catechists, etc., they are playing an incredibly important role in the future of these children. I think that sometimes we underestimate just how important a role that is. I remember being a kid. And you know you develop that relationship with your Sabbath school teacher. That was you know in the Adventist church. That was our context. You develop that relation, and they become somebody that you look up to, and that you kind of model your life on to a certain extent. I can very clearly identify people in my life as I grew up that had such a marvelous impact in my life that actually changed the trajectory of my future. It makes you ask the question, who's the more important, the uh, Sunday school teacher, Sabbath school teacher, or the pastor? Can I suggest that all of them have a role to play? And if one of them are not playing that role, there is an amiss in that young person's life. God created us to be community people that that wants to connect and needs a whole community around us, needs the extended family, needs the church family, needs the community at large but in a positive way. That has been broken down today. And by the, um, the, the sexual abuse, we have been paralyzed and we are holding back from giving that care to young people because of negatives that has happened. I think we are neglecting a very important role that our children that are growing up in our midst desperately need. So what we then need to do is to develop safe and appropriate ways of providing the mentorship that young people need rather than just throwing our hands in the air and saying, I give up, I'm a man, there's all kinds of rules, I can't do anything about this, but it's actually looking for ways to be an effective you know, mentor to the children that we have in our congregations. Very true, very true. David, I'm looking forward to part two of this when we come back um, next week to talk about Uh, or to continue the conversation about mentoring young men and the effect that it has. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We always appreciate uh, everything you have to share with us. You're welcome and blessings to you all. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.